Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from Epicos Church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. For more information about Epicos, please visit epicos.org. Hello, Epicos. How are y'all doing today? Great, great, great. It is always a pleasure to be here with you. We're so always thankful to be able to gather uh, to our, our church family at Eastside, our church family at Mayfair Road, our folks over at Sherman Park, and to you here at West Allis, it is always a pleasure to be before you. Uh, we are continuing on in our sermon series today as we are going to be joining through the letter of Philemon. And guess what? I have a special treat for you today. We're going to read an entire book of the Bible. Woo, all right. All right, well, brace yourselves. Guess what? It's just one chapter, and it's like 21 verses, and so we'll make it all through it together, all right? If you don't mind, I'd like to read it for you. Let's read. Oops. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Apia, our sister, and Atropos, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear your love and the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us in the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man now, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending them back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to have kept him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer not to do nothing without your consent in order for that your goodness might be not of compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that he might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, how much more to you both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing, you owe me even your own self. 
Yes, brother, I want some benefit from the Lord, refreshing my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do more than I have asked that I will say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers, I will graciously be given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so does Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, and my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. This morning, i like to use for a topic for our sermon, Philemon, Slavery, and the Gospel of Reconciliation. Will you pray with me for a moment? Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise your holy name, O oh God. We just ask that you would be with us during this time, O oh Lord. We just ask that you would help us to draw not only nearer to you, Lord, as we learn and study your word, O oh Lord, but help us to draw closer to one another, to share the love that you have lavished upon us. We are so thankful for your love. And we just ask that you would be with us all the more. The words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. As we begin to explore this letter from Paul to Philemon, we find that there are a couple major themes that are very prevalent in this very short letter. But before we dive into this letter, I think it's apropos that we address the elephant in the room. This morning, we're going to be talking about slavery. That's right, slavery. And when we hear the word slavery, it conjures a lot of thoughts for a lot of us, a lot of thoughts, uh, a lot of emotions. And uh, quite frankly, I can feel the tension in the room. Things got a little tense. But you know what? That's all right. That's all right because one of the things about life and us journeying together in life, there are going to be moments that might be a little uncomfortable, some things that we might not have full understanding of. But guess what? We're going to journey through it together this morning. And so shake your shoulders. It's going to be all right. We're we're, we're going to have a healthy conversation of what slavery is about. Now, as we get into this conversation of slavery, I think it's important to, for us to understand two particular things. The first thing is the slavery that was practiced here in the Americas uh, is not the same slavery that is described in the book of Philemon. And I think it's important that we draw that out because the slavery that was practiced in America, uh, which is known as chattel slavery, and the definition of that uh, quite simply stated is when someone fully owns a, something of property. And so it's not relegated just to slavery. It's actually an old English word of, of having ownership of something that you purchased. So that was chattel slavery and also knowing that the slavery that is described in the book of Philemon 
is what we would consider indentured servitude of our bond servant and the various ways of that bond servantness that took place in the, in the time period in that Roman area where Philemon uh, took place could either, you could have been a slave because you had debt and it was a form of paying off debt. Uh, you could have been a prisoner of war or you could have just have been um, not only debt, prisoner of war, but also just, um, you've just been impoverished and say you were a foreigner and you were just new to a country and you're trying to get yourself established. And so it was a contractual relationship. But as we explore, I think it's important for us to talk about what happened in the United States with chattel slavery and why this is so relevant to our conversation this morning. Chattel slavery that took place in the United States was a dehumanizing, shameful business practice that was unfortunately woven into the fabric of who we are as the United States. It's an uncomfortable truth, but it is reality. The legacy of buying and selling human beings people that were created in the image of God was a very lucrative business practice. And unfortunately, uh, there are elements of this established business practice that we still see remnants of in our everyday culture here in the year 2022. To give you an example of that, um, I'll, I'll make this rather simple and personal. My name is Anthony Caples. Specifically, my last name is Caples. And I bring that up because after some family research and one of the things that's been very popular in our culture as of these last few years is uh, these different services that trace your genealogy and trace your family history. And for me, uh, in my family history, we were able to trace our lineage back to the year 1835. And so what happened in 1835 was a Englishman by the name of Samuel Caples in Northern Alabama purchased eight human beings, eight people that would be enslaved. And of those eight people that were purchased, one of those people were a eight-year-old little boy by the name of Frank. And when you think of it, let's just pause right there. Of the eight that was purchased, one was a little eight-year-old boy named Frank. Frank was not purchased with his family. His mother and father were not a part of this business transaction. Frank was purchased away like a piece of property from his mother and his father. When I think of the, 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 the sheer 
pain and horror, but I, I, I can't help but think of my own child and to think of at eight years old, what would that feel like and what, was, what could be going to his parents' mind and when they saw their precious eight-year-old child taken away from them and sold to someone for at that time period for $815, which is translated in today's money about $27,000 that my child's life would be worth the cost of a car. It was a, uh, it was a devastating thought. But Samuel Caples had purchased these eight human beings, marched them from North Alabama to a plot of land in the Mississippi Delta and established a small plantation. And I stand here before you now because of our collective history as the great-great-grandson of that eight-year-old little boy. And it's the particular reason why my last name is Caples. I felt it relevant to share a little bit of that history and to give you an understanding not only of our collective history about slavery here in America, and why is this particularly relevant for us in our conversation today? This is relevant because at this time period, right now in the here and now, there are a lot of people because of what had happened in America with slavery there are people that have turned their hearts hard from the gospel because they have said, I can never follow a Jesus that will condone slavery. And that mindset has been perpetuated by a lot of people because unlike, uh, unfortunately, during that time period of slavery here in the U.S., uh, sometimes scripture was used to reinforce slavery and scripture was improperly used and taken out of context. One example is that is from the book of Ephesians uh, chapter 6 verse 5 that says, bond servants or slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. This is but one example of how scripture was taken out of context to foster this horrible business practice that became slavery here in the, in the United States and the other Americas. Uh, it was even known that at some point, uh, not so much here in the United States, but more in Caribbean, there was a actual Bible known as the Slave Bible where scriptures that were referencing all of the totality of what scripture says about slavery and bond servanthood was changed and omitted and was used to reinforce this horrible business practice. But yes, we have a lot of people that have held on to this misconception of what the book of Philemon is saying about slavery and they have mixed the two together and they have heartened their hearts and said no I would not take a part of this 
but we, we want you to know that the, from what the scripture goes on to show us and teach us that this is not the same slavery that the book of Philemon is speaking of. Now, the slavery that Onesimus had experienced during this time period of this letter, uh, the, the slavery that was very common to the Romans, as we had stated earlier, was a form of indentured servitude. Uh, people weren't dehumanized. They were not considered property. They were not considered perpetual property. And one could work off their debt. And it was a time period where you were be enslaved, but you could work one's debt off. But this goes further on to the reason and the heart of what Paul was sharing in this letter that he crafted to his friend Philemon on the behalf of Onesimus. Paul's appeal for Onesimus. When Paul came across Onesimus, Onesimus became a follower of Jesus when he encountered Paul in prison. Uh, the circumstances of how Onesimus ended up in prison are not known, but we, we do know that he ended up in prison with Paul. And during his time period with Paul, Jesus got on him and he became of worth to Paul. And so at this time period, Paul had under, gained understanding of Onesimus' background and the fact that he had ran away. Not only did he run away from his obligation, but he ran away from someone that he knew. And so Paul at this point had decided that upon his release, he was going to send a letter ahead on behalf of Onesimus. And he would make this plea to his friend. Not only because Paul wanted to respect the social order of the day in the relationship that, and contractual relationship that Onesimus had with Philemon, but he also wanted to establish that there had been a life-changing transformation that had taken place in the life of this man who was at one point just a bond servant, but now a dear brother. And so Paul had taken upon himself to start this task of trying to restore this broken relationship between Philemon and Onesimus. Yes, he was indebted to him. Uh, yes, he had violated the contract. It is not specifically said. It is assumed that he most likely stole something or and just off of the record from what Paul had shared in this letter, um, he wasn't very good at, on his end of the uh, job. He was not of much use. But Paul wanted to establish that now he was of greater use and that he was of, of greater help. And not only would he be a, a, a fine servant to you, but you should consider him a brother because Jesus had entered into his life and his life had been transformed. And so Paul not only made a, 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 he made a declaration of saying, I could command you to do this, but I appeal to you in love 
as a brother, to forgive Onesimus, to, to bring him back, to, to, to help restore him, to, to not only, if you choose, could have him continue on in this capacity of servitude, you are free to do so. But know that he is a brother now. He is, he is more than a slave. He's one of us. He, we're, we're, we're family now. I see him as a dear son. And you should see him as a dear brother. But Paul goes on to take it even another step further, making it known that whatever he has done to burden you financially, whatever he owes you, I will repay it. I will make right. I will make reconciliation and restore which was broken within the confines of this relationship. And brothers and sisters, this brings us on to our final point, which is the heart of this message, our challenge to live out the gospel of reconciliation. What we find in Paul's letter is not only an example of him living out the gospel message and wanting to restore this broken relationship between Onesimus and Philemon, but we also find that he wants to restore things, that he wants to reconcile what was broken and pay for what it's owed. And what we find in this example is that Paul is living out an example of what Jesus Christ has done for every single one of us. We all have been slaves to sin. We all have been locked in the bondage of, 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 of a broken relationship with a holy God. From Adam's sin in the garden, we all have been stained by this breach that was between us and a holy God by our sin. But what Jesus had did on the cross, what Jesus had lived and shown us by example, he showed us love. He had shown us grace. He had shown us what healing and forgiveness can look like. He had given us a path towards restoration. And then we had come into this place of restoration. We've come into this place of healing. We, we, we take opportunity to, 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 to really examine ourselves to see how, we, how our lives have played out in our relationships, in our lives. In this story, in this letter that was shared, we can translate how our own faith journeys in our lives have played out. Have we been Onesimus and wronged someone? Are we Philemon in this story? Do we have opportunity on either end to come to the middle and, and, and bring healing to what has been broken. Know that the love of Christ was poured out on Calvary's hill to not only restore what had been broken, but most importantly, reconciliation took place on that cross. And by reconciliation, that term 
often is used as a fiduciary term. It's a term of, 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 of finance that says something that, that, that was owed is being paid by someone, something else, or someone else. For the scripture tells us that the wages of sin is death. And brothers and sisters, we owed a great debt that we could not pay. But Jesus loved us so much that he said, Father, I will come down there. I will live among them. I will die on the cross for them to pay that debt that is owed. That is the reconciliation that took place on the cross for every single one of us. And I just want us to be reminded that as we journey through our lives and we have our situations of, of, of brokenness, that we operate with a little more grace, that we operate with a little more humility, that we operate within the love of, of, of our transformed lives. Because we are no longer slaves to sin. The scripture says that who the Son had set free is free indeed. And we are free in Jesus. So this morning, if you have not opened your heart to receive this freedom, know that the price has already been prayed. The price for our freedom was paid on Calvary's hill by the blood that Jesus shed for every single one of us. All we had to do was freely open our hearts to it. And for those of us that have already been redeemed, know that we walk in that grace and love every day. And that grace and that love, that forgiveness, that healing, that took place on that cross for every single one of us. It's not only free to all of us, for it was free for us to give to everyone that we come across. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We just ask that you continue to speak to our hearts and draw us near to you. Help us to love each other the way you have loved us and continue to bless us and hold us in that love. We thank you how you've lavished us with that love and help us to love as freely from heart to heart the way you have loved us. This is our prayer right now in Jesus' name. Amen.